Welcome, everyone. It's day five without a response from USATF on the new Olympic qualifying procedures. On today's podcast, we discuss everything Olympic trials, Olympic qualifying, and we've got action on the roads, an uninvited runner with bib number 1163 won the New York City half. Is that cool or a bad thing? There was a premature celebration in Bahrain that possibly cost the guy $80,000 in the world's richest half marathon. We've got our special guest, Meb Kofleski, who's got a new book out, 26 Marathons, and we ask him whether there will be a 27th marathon at the Olympic trials, plus threads of the week and much more. Guys, I'm Weldon Johnson with Jonathan Galt and Robert Johnson. Welcome. Good to be here. Yeah, good morning, Weldon. Hot topic of discussion all week on Let's Run or all weekend has been USATF announcing to us in a statement Friday night that they will put more emphasis on the absolute Olympic qualifying standard to qualify for the trials. And this would severely impact top three making the team at the Olympic trials, at least in the distance events. It's a decision. I don't, I have yet to see anyone who really supports it thinks it's a great idea because the IWF at the same time last week came out with a system that said, we're going to you know reward competition, have this new ranking system saying essentially that the times are we're putting time standard out there that nobody can hit. And then USATF comes back with its own statement saying, no, 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 actually we want, we're going to put time as being most important over everything. Yeah. It's a total joke. I gave a black page to the entire site. To me, it's one of the most depressing days as a distance fan in my lifetime. I know I'm known for hyperbole, but that's not hyperbole. That's legitimate. And I'm about to, we're about to publish later today. We'll publish the week that was. And I've been working on it. You couldn't make this up. The IAAF is totally focused on promoting its world rankings. And guess what? USATF says, I'm sorry, we're going to ignore the world rankings. That doesn't make any sense. Additionally, do people remember that four years ago, the IAAF made the world rankings easier? I mean, the standards easier? They had to make them easier so more people could go to Olympics. Now they're making them way harder. This is just like a joke. But if we go back to July, I want to thank Let's Run visitor Patrick Kelly for emailing me this. He found the press release on July 31st when the IWF announced that they'd be publishing a world rankings. And they said that the sole purpose of qualifying athletes, that they, the only reason why they'd even have standards will be set for the sole purpose of qualifying athletes with exceptional performances unable to qualify through the IWF world rankings pathway. So basically, the standards are really designed by the IWF only to exist for people who are coming back from pregnancy or injury, or maybe like a really young superstar, like he's an 18-year-old. But the IWF just, I mean, USATF just says, no, we don't care. And it's going to ruin the trials and the distances. I mean, it's so ridiculous, guys, right? I mean, well, then how many people in New York are like, USATF must have misspoke. This is so stupid. I mean, Scott Simmons said that, right? Yeah. So play the Scott Simmons audio in a second. Sunday morning was the United Airlines New York City half. I walk into the essentially the media room and elite athlete room at the same time, and they have a breakfast spread, and you watch the race to Tavern on the Green, and then you go out and talk to the athletes after they finish. And right off the bat, one of the most prominent agents in the world comes up and said, I, I didn't bring up the story or anything. He just said, hey, you know, your, your story on the trials, it's wrong. It's got to be wrong. And I'm like, well, what do you mean it's got to be wrong? We just put out USATF statement. We sent them detailed questions asking if they were going to put an emphasis on the time standard, and there's no way they misinterpreted what we asked them. And he said, well, that just can't be the case. And then after the race, I talked to Scott Simmons, coach of Paul Chilimo and all the American Distance Project guys. In some ways, this new qualifying system would favor his guys because they're likely to hit the standard, but he's against this as well. He doesn't want anyone who ran 
fast a year before the trials and then is 10th at the trials going to the Olympics. It's not good for the sport. The Olympic trials is such a beautiful thing in America. There's a whole subculture of running, dreaming, built around it. The belief that you know maybe your neighbor can make the team, make the trial, they make the trials first and then they can make the team. It's what inspires a generation here. And Scott was totally against it. And here's audio from Scott, what he said. I, I, I'm absolutely sure that was a misstatement from USA Track and Field standpoint. Because first of all, the communications director doesn't make that decision. Max Eagle doesn't make that decision. The committees make that decision. And there's no way when this just happened this right. week that they've, that, you know, they met and made a decision. We won't use the rankings. We're just going to go top three. It's, I think it was a misstatement. It's got to be. I hope so. Yeah. Okay. You need to ask. So that's Scott saying it's got to be a misstatement. Okay, I, I, I think it's important here to clarify that there was no misstatement. John, please tell the listening audience how specific your questions were to USATF. And they clearly were saying that if there's three people in the trials and one of them finishes ninth with the standard, three people with standard and one of them finishes ninth, that person will go to the Olympics over the winner if the winner doesn't have the standard. So it was very specific, John's question. There was no misstatement. Now, I think since we have had five days of silence, we've emailed them since a few people said, oh, this has to be wrong. No, it's so stupid. You think it would be wrong. Since they haven't responded for five days, not even acknowledging John's email. And he's emailed numerous people, very unprofessional. Phone calls too. I'm not just, I mean, text messages. I've tried every form save for a carrier pigeon. We think that they may be backtracking. There's a lot of backlash against this. So right now, we want to state for the record here on March 20th, 10.15 a.m. Eastern, that when they change their mind, or if they try to say that we got it wrong, no, we didn't get it wrong. You changed your mind. So we're taking credit for it. Let's run nation, John Weldon, we've all agreed, right? We're taking credit for this. When this gets changed, hopefully. Weldon's assuming it has to get changed. I think these people are so stupid that it doesn't necessarily have to get changed. It'll get changed. No one, no one supports it. No one thinks it's a good idea, and it's totally contrary to what the IWF wants. And some people d- don't understand that. I wish I could say who called me this weekend, but my f- my phone on Saturday buzzed, and I was like, holy – I mean, it's like Roger Goodell calling you or Nick Saban or something. It's like, wow, I didn't even know I had this person's number in my phone. This is very impressive. And this is a person like Scott. It's not in their interest. The, 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 having the standards is in their interest. If you're a superstar coach or superstar athlete and you can run 1305, hey, you're going to the Olympics. Why even – three people have the time. You don't even need to bother with the trials. Just jog around at last place and joke around. But this person is totally opposed to it and understands that, again, it's against about what American running is all about, the dream of the Olympic – America, everything revolves around getting top three of that trials. I really think that some of these bureaucrats are forgetting the running community. Jonathan Galt, we're going to talk later about your World Cross Country article, but John has written an article. It's going to go up later today about the World Cross Country course. And the guy in charge of designing that course, he needs to be made the head of the IAAF, the head of the USATF. He understands running and the running community so well. It's amazing. And I want to read a quote from John's article because he's talking about World Cross Country, about teams, people not sending people to World Cross Country and how that is terrible. But it, it talks about the running community, how the, how the bureaucrats don't understand this. Right now, it's, here's the quote. Wait a second. Before you read it, we need to get a sponsor plug. This portion of the podcast is sponsored by Norwegian Airlines. Please fly 
to Denmark right now from New York City for $450 for World Cross Country. Actually, I'm making the sponsor thing up, but I looked for tickets. I'm already going, but I even looked today. You can still fly Norwegian Air very cheap to Denmark. So if you're still thinking, you have a week to do this, you should go. This is going to be great. And actually, let's drop our real sponsor. The podcast is sponsored by floydsofleadville.com for all your CBD products. These are certified CBD products. A lot of runners are using this for recovery. Go to Floyd's of Leadville. That's as in Floyd Landis, the disgraced cyclist who helped clean up the sport. Floydsofleadville.com and use code L-R-M-A-R. That's M-A-R as in March to save 10% off your first order. Okay, Robert, back to you. Yeah, so this guy's name, John Wright, is J- Jacob Larson. He's the head of the, D- of the Danish. He is the head of the Danish Athletics Federation. This guy's amazing. I, I, like he understands running so much better than everybody else. Right now, I would say that the, that's, that's some federations, I think they're disregarding the importance of the running community. I think they're forgetting the level of interest. You know, he's talking about promoting world cross country. If properly handled, this could generate within their running community. This quote applies to the marathon trials. It's especially European countries, I'd say. European countries, they risk be, being disconnected from the running community if they do not back the running championships like the cross country, like the half marathon. If they do not send significant teams, but choose only to go if they have a top 20 athlete, I think that's a huge risk to take, in my opinion. That quote, just change just change it to apply to the Olympic trials and is dead on 100%. If you only worry about the people that run 332, the three Americans, then, hey, you're killing the dream. You're killing the high school coaches, the college coaches. It's just a complete, utter disaster. But, oh gosh, this guy Larson is so brilliant. This course, John, let's go into the article right now. It is so good. I read it last night. I was, I'm the editor. People don't believe I edit since I have so many misspellings in my own message board posts. But John, hey, I'm a pretty good editor, right? Editing a nice few photos and stuff. You do a good job, Robert. Thank you. Thank you. We, we need to play the crickets again. <laughs> <laughs> I read this article. I was like, this guy is so amazing. The course, and I am not going because I have to take care of my one-year-old. Our child care is gone for two weeks. And anyways. I'm thinking about somehow, can I get a passport for a one-year-old and fly over there with him? I mean, my wife will probably call the FBI on me, but like, should we buy fans tickets? It's amazing. First of all, the thing starts with like a 60-meter hill, 60 meters of elevation. It's not 60 meters of vertical gain. It's 22 meters of vertical gain, which is about 72 feet. 60 feet. Yeah, excuse me. 20 meters of vertical gain in the first 400 feet. So it's very hilly. First 400 meters. Yes. The course, though, is going to have a, a mud pit, a sand pit. They're, but they're going to run through a beer tent, also a Viking. They're going to have Vikings with like fire that they're going to run through. But then he, they're, when they run up, you know, the course goes over a museum. They run on top of the roof of a museum, and that's a huge, huge hill. And when they do that, he wants that to be like he's he's imitating the Alpes d'Huez and the Tour de France. He wants the fans in their face screaming, yelling. Like this guy totally get. I read this. I was like. I, I think they should like move every cross. If this ends up being as good as it looks, it's the way he's described it. He's like, look, this could be the Super Bowl, the permanent home of cross country, like a permanent home of everything. They should fly NCAA cross country over there. I mean, my God, get rid of the 10K at the Olympics and just run it on this course every year. Okay. Another quote from this guy. Of course, we should never forget the athletes, but as organizers, we often tend to focus on the athletes exclusively. I would say this is totally the case for like most governing bodies and somehow forget there are people out there and all they want to do is have a return on their investment. The fans are investing time to go to the venue or watch it on television. And we need to provide a return on investment. That's our job. It's an event. It's a spectacle. The tricky part about cross country is it's a very long event, etc. This guy's even got the crown prince of what Denmark running in the event. 
it's amazing. He he was hoping to have thousands of of, of competitors. I mean, if you're if you're a sub thirty three minute ten k runner, you can actually pay and run in this event. And he's thought about that. The reason why he wants more people is because he's worried about the way it looks for TV at the start. When you only have like eighty athletes, it doesn't look good. He wants you know four hundred athletes. He's like you know not only is he worried about what it looks like for TV, but he thinks he's thinking about how does it look in a fifteen second Twitter. Facebook post. This guy is so amazing. You must read this article. It'll be up by the time this podcast comes up. Okay. Sub 33 minute guys can enter and there's supposedly still spots in this field. And earlier this year, we were talking about Edward Cheserick should go over. For the record right now, let's run.com. We'll pay for Edward Cheserick to go to this race. Got to acknowledge that we're paying for it, but I assume Skechers will pay for you as well. But who else should we try to fly over? Like, Hey, Paul Tuimo didn't run U.S. Cross. Maybe Paul would want to give it a shot. Is there anyone out there you can think of? Kipchoge. I want them to say Kipchoge, just fly him out for the weekend, see what he can do. That'd be awesome, but he's probably getting about a quarter million to run London. <laughs> yeah, I mean, does it just because you run well across doesn't mean that you can't run London. You know, we need to level the playing field. Like Kipchoge's been kicking everyone's ass in the marathon. Let's make it dif- more difficult for him by making him run well across as well and then see if he can still r- win the London Marathon. We should start it. Maybe we'll put this on Twitter. LRC Nation, who is the one athlete in the world, not in world cross country, who should be in there? And maybe we can make this happen. Wishful thinking, but hey. Galen Rupp. Galen Rupp. Oh, wait. He's hot. Sorry. Achilles surgery. But guys, you, you know for years, uh, people always say, how can, we, how can we make track popular? What can we do to market it? And I'm always like, nothing. We can't. Just be happy that it's really popular in the Olympics every four years. I, so I, I am jaded by the sport, the drugs, and everything. I read this and I had hope. This guy, oh my God, like he under, I, I, I was like, I finally read something that makes sense. And he would want to turn this into a huge spectacle with like thousands of competitors, like a marathon. If he had 30,000 competitors, you could funnel that money in to the elite money. And then, then the pros wouldn't skip world cross, like super, super stuff. So I, I'm sorry I got sidetracked on that because I wanted to talk about something positive. I haven't been that excited about something in a long time. Instead, we have to talk about how, We'll put the article in the show notes. The trials could be done. I mean, let's not get too much hyperbole. The trials won't be done because it won't affect the sprints. It, it, it's going to, well, it's just not going to be any fun. Like, it, but that's the thing. USATF doesn't care really if Kyle Merber goes versus uh, who would have gone, who went, John, instead of Kyle Merber making the team. Ben Blankenship. But he, here's my concern it's like, look, it, it's the Olympic marathon trials, the whole, the beauty of the Olympic marathon trials, obviously it's, it's the drama of being top three or not. But if you look at almost every person who steps on the starting line, I bet they would admit to you somewhere in the back of their mind, they've run through this scenario. If everything, if I catch this break, if the race plays out this way, if this happens, if this guy has a bad day, if it's hot, X, Y, Z, if all that happens, I could be an Olympian. I could make it, you know? And essentially, the IAF and the USATF have sort of colluded to ensure that doesn't happen because either, you know, the IAF standard is you have to be top 10 in a major or you have to have a 211.30 standard. And then USATF has gone even, you know, essentially has said, yeah, that's exactly, you know, even if you could run 214 and make the team, we don't want you to do that. We want you to make sure that you have these tough standards. Okay, I'll give, I'll use, I'll use an example. Imagine if 2018 Boston happened at the Olympic trials and imagine if Desi Linden had dropped out because remember she was dropped and almost dropped out in that portalette when she stopped, she was feeling so bad when Shailene went to the bathroom, Desi stopped to, to wait up for her. So imagine Desi Linden had dropped out. Well, Des Linden, all right, sorry, that, that's an insult to Des Linden. She's not going to drop out of the Olympic marathon trials. Sorry, she's too tough for that. 
What do you mean? She's not going to drop out of the Olympic marathon trials, Robert. Sorry. What do you mean? Nathan Ritzenheim dropped out of the Olympic marathon trials. He's a 207 marathoner. If she's feeling like it's not her day, like it was in Boston, I don't think they're just going to drop it. She didn't drop out of Boston. Like You only drop out of the Olympic marathon trials if you f- literally cannot continue or you're being totally dropped. Like Des, if she's feeling rough, she's not going to drop off and drop out. I'm not trying to say Desi's weak or anything. I'm just saying, let's say she dropped out, doesn't finish the race because she doesn't. she's in 20th place. She doesn't realize that the weather is going to win the day. Sarah Sellers would have won that race. So we're not going to send Sarah Sellers. She, she wins the... She wins the trials in some fluke thing, and we're not going to send her to the tri- to the Olympics. Give me a break. No, we're going to send her. It's a great story. Yes, other people would do better than her in the Olympics, but I don't care. When a team when a team wins a football game on a fluke interception or pick six or penalty and and so I mean, God, the who was that Paris team playing in the Champions League the other day? And there's a freak handball. I mean, give me a break. Oh yeah, Paris Saint, your beloved Paris Saint Germain. Let's try to give another concrete example. Essentially, in the distance races events most likely this will prevent in some of the events the top three at the trials from going to the team and that is sacred it's not you know the cat in the past there was a few instances this didn't occur but it could happen a lot more in the future so that the eighth place finisher could go to the olympics or the 12th place it's just bad for tv it's bad for marketing i hope some prominent people are you know listening to this podcast but you know there's a new director of usoc sarah hirschland the Olympic trials are beautiful. It's It gets traction in the United States. And there's a big chance, especially on the men's marathon side of the Olympic trials, the course has already been announced for the Olympic trials. It's in Atlanta. It's a very difficult course to have automatic qualifying to hit this standard. We're assuming they'll count top 10 in a world mar- marathon majors because that's equivalent to having a sub 21130. They will. That's not an assumption. They're going to count that. Let's run. We got a statement from Rich Kana, the head of the Atlanta Track Club. And last week, he said, the thrill of a U.S. Olympic trials is unrivaled. USA Track and Field's make or break selection of a top three finish of the trials while attaining a reasonable qualifying mark allows every participant and spectator to dare to dream, regardless of the athlete's seat time at the start line. With due respect to the leadership at the IWF and the decision makers involved with yesterday's announcement, Atlanta Track Club is concerned with the uncertainty created by this massive change from past practices will render a U.S. Olympic team trials in the marathon irrelevant for participating athletes and wildly confusing to the media assigned to cover them. So that was bef- before the stuff came out showing that it'll even more affect the track trials. And there's a simple solution for this for the marathon trials. The IWF needs to make an exception and say that the Japanese Olympic marathon trials and the U.S. Olympic marathon trials, if you get top three there, it equals top 10 at a world marathon major, which equals automatic selection to the Olympics. That would solve the marathons. Let's give a concrete example because not everyone's into the details as much as we are. But if somebody ran, you know, three three thirty four two in 2019 in June, that's the automatic qualifying standard. And if only a couple guys in the U.S. hit that or let's say four guys hit that time the next year and a half, the next year they're hurt and they show up at the Olympic trials, don't even make the final. That person will go to the Olympics over the second or third place finisher if they'd never hit the time that's not a good thing we need to protect the trials and if we at least on the track if we have the world ranking system and in a system that also if the world ranking system would reflect the quality of the meet and not treat the belize national championships equal to the united states olympic championships 
almost certainly top three at the trials and good events would go to the Olympics. Well, you, you're saying this is a hypothetical situation, but like literally this is what happened in 2016. If we had applied, I, I know you can't perfectly apply 2020 qualifying criteria to 2016 and it changes how people make this approach. But Kyle Merber, like, you know, friend of the podcast, Kyle Merber, in 2015, May 2015, he runs 334, which would have hit the, you know, now Olympic standard of 335. Then he gets hurt at the start of 2016, shows up to the Olympic trials. You know, he's not 100%. He's missed some time training, but he's good enough to make the final. He gets ninth at the Olympic trials, but he would have gone because he was the, uh, the only three guys in the field had the Olympic standard. It was Matthew Sensowitz, Robbie Andrews, and Kyle. And even though Kyle was not at the same level of fitness as he was the year before when he hit the standard because of his injury, he would still get to go to the Olympics because Blankenship, fourth place, you know, fifth place, none of those guys would have had the time. The, the example that was given to me by this very prominent person that called me was the worst scenario is an event where there was only three people with the A standard. There'd be no reason to run the trials. Now, maybe you could say in the 800 or the 1500, they could hit it, but they're not going to hit the standard in, in like a hot 5,000 in the middle of the day. So if, if there's three guys with a 1313, like what, they could just jog in the back. I mean, why even show up and race? Like for the Olympic marathon trials, come on on a hilly course in, in Atlanta. Very few people are going to run to 1130. They might as well just start seven people. I mean, whoever has the top 10 at, at the majors, you know, and the IWF told me like, well, we can't make exceptions. What do you mean? You already make exceptions. You already grant the NCA indoor and outdoor meets special status, grant the Olympic trials, the, the Kenyan trials. I mean, their track trials should, should get more ranking points. You know, the, the person that, that was, that I spoke to was actually fine with the ranking system. If I both once, I would say just let a team again, we're gonna have a great email about this in the week that was, but I would say just use the world rankings to pick, see how many entries each team gets. So if we have three in the top 45, then we get to send three people and let us pick any three. I mean, any other sport, the team gets to send whatever three they want. The, the league doesn't say, Oh, you can't start this person. You know, they don't choose the team. The teams choose their athletes, but if they don't want to do that, the, the person who who I spoke with was like, they were fine with the ranking system. They thought that generally, like in terms of the rankings, there would be, you know, eight, 10, 12 people in each event that would be high enough in the world rankings that they would make the Olympics if they were top three. So most of the time, almost always the top three would go. And their argument was, hey, that's fine. And they thought we should only send people, top three go, fourth place is an alternate, and no one else can go, period. And I was like, wow, that's kind of harsh. What if you fell? Like, what if you're seventh and you're some superstar? Galen Rupp falls and he's seventh in the 10,000. And he's like, it's tough, you know? So I liked it. This is someone who, again, it's not in their interest to do this, but they understand. Were you using a generic he there? Or was that, did you speak to a man? You tipped your cat. Was that a gender neutral he? Like, you know what I'm saying? That's why we got to get away from these pronouns as well. He, she. When you run indoor track as a he and turn to a she, Within a few months, it's changed their gender identity. As, the, as my email of the week says, someone wrote, says, this isn't that complicated. We show up with our team. You show up with yours. We see who wins. We'll see you again in four years. I agree. In certain events, it's either USA, it's either gymnastics or figure skating, I think. like the, Each country earns so many qualifying spots, and then they can fill the team how they want. That would be a simple solution. What the USATF is doing, the doubling down on the time, is the worst of all situations because initially the IWF world rankings came out people can nitpick it find some problems with it but overall the goals of what they're trying to accomplish are a good one so you know they could be fine-tuned reward the u.s trials better but then with the with usatf coming back and saying oh hey by the way we're going to ignore that and go with time it's it's really bad for the sport instead of just bitching we need to 
because prominent people listen to this podcast come up with simple solutions. And USATF, it's simple, at least honor the world rankings. Also petitioned to get the U.S. trials ranked with more ranking points. Particularly the marathon trials. And for the marathon trials, get a blanket waiver. Uh, Top three at the U.S. Olympic marathon trials is equal to a top 10 in the world marathon majors. That is very simple. That can easily be done. And there'll be much less complaints. The sanctity of the trials will be protected. There's no re- there's no way the U.S. will not be sending three people in both events. Right. So nobody's going to compare. They're worried about the rest of the world complaining about the U.S. getting an exception in Japan. That's why I say add Japan. But they're not getting an exception. We're sending three anyway, so no one's going to care. No one's. Yeah, I mean, look at the results of the 2016 Olympics. The third places at the U.S. trials, Jared Ward and Shalane Flanagan, got sixth and seventh in the Olympic marathon. It's not like the, we're going to be sending a joke at number th- at the third spot. And while we're talking about simple solutions, we need to move on and talk about other things so we don't take this podcast too long. I have come up with a simple solution for the Diamond League 3000 controversy. They're going to get rid of the 5000 and replace it with a flat 3000. That might be... I'd rather have... If you give me the option of six 3000s or no distance races, I'd rather have no distance races. As Weldon said to me, why would you add a non-Olympic event to the Diamond League when you're trying to save time and cut events? It doesn't make any sense. So you bring back the 5000. And if you have the 5,000 in the steeplechase, that's, there's four distance events, counting men and women, two of each, two of each gender. So if you ran each of those events just three times, you could have one distance event in every Diamond League. You're going to save a lot of time. You're only having one distance event in every Diamond League. You have either women's steeplechase, men's steeplechase, women's 5,000, or men's 5,000, one in every Diamond League. And it works perfectly. There's three per the year. You run one in May, one in June, and one in July. So you get to see how the distance runners look early in the season. Then they get to train for a month. Hey, how are they looking in the middle of the season? And then you get to see them in August, right before Worlds or the Olympics. You don't want six races. Six races, it gets watered down because no one's going to run six races anyways. That's what they're saying. They're like, oh, they won't run six 5,000s. Guess what? They won't run six 3,000s. And plus, the fans don't want to watch six watered-down 3,000s where Kajelcha runs one, Shalima runs another. No, if you have three races and you double the prize money, People are going to be less likely to skip it because there's $20,000 for first on the line. So you get more compelling matchups. You save time. It's a perfect solution. So yes, it's four times per season plus the Diamond League final and, and the World Olympic final. Robert, you fixed the Diamond League. This is a brilliant solution. And I think it fits right. In. I mean, you know who's going to be very happy and right on board with you is Jerry Schumacher because that's basically how he has his guys race. Like Evan Jager essentially only does a few races in the Diamond League every year. They try to go hard for these ones and they make it, you know, they come into like Monaco or pre and they, they're ready to run fast and go for it. I think it works for them. Not that I'm just saying we should cater the Diamond League to the Bowman Track Club, but, you know, I think you're going to have people on board with this with not wanting to overrace their guys. And the Ethiopians and Kenyans, the ones who are more dependent on prize money for their income, that sort of thing, they still get the opportunity to get big prize money. It's just, you know, spread across fewer events. It's going to be the same amount of prize money in effect. Right. I guess from talking to some of the Diamond League communications people, the idea is they want to have like standard events. So maybe six 3000s, but distance fans don't want six 3000s in the Diamond League. That's too many. So, you know, three might be fine. Like you said, maybe four. And people don't want to see the same matchups all the time at every meet. So at least in the distances, so they could mix it up. I think that is a good solution. I've yet to find anyone who, who likes the 3K more than the 5K. I spoke to Paul Tulimo. His half marathon debut was in New York. He's against the changes. He's against getting rid of the 3K. He's against the Olympic new Olympic qualifying thing, even though the Olympic qualifying thing would benefit him. Real quick, I think last thing on the Olympic qualifying, and then let's talk about the action 
and we can get to the Meb interview, is what the trials represent and the dream and that sort of stuff. Des Linden had some great comments on that in New York City after her half marathon, and she talked about how if these type of standards had been in place back in the day, you know, she may not even be here right now as Des Linden, Boston Marathon champion. So here's that. Athletes, obviously for our trials, it you know, takes a lot of excitement out of it. Um, for me personally, it doesn't change my day. I got to get a time. I want to be top ten in majors, and I want to finish top three. So I look at it like that. Uh, but I get, I've been on both sides of it. You know, in 2008, I thought I had an outside shot to make the team. Thought I could finish in the top three, and thought I could run 232. And I thought that's what it took to make the team at the time. And if that hadn't been on the table, you know, maybe I go. Adri- so there's Des saying, you know, she might have gone in a different direction in her career if these standards had been in place back in the day. And we're, we're not against, you know, high standards and encouraging people to be the best. But if you can have a trial system that rewards top three on any day making the team, it's a beautiful thing in America. It's cutthroat. And the, the running community loves it. The athletes, even if it may not benefit them, love it. It's what America is about represents. The exception could be, okay, if you have an Olympic trials where you spend more than $500,000 on the event and you're going to send three, you can send whatever three you want. I mean, come on, people. So now Bahrain's going to spend a million dollars to put on Olympic trials and they'll send a full full team. (laughs) Speaking of Bahrain, nice transition, John. We had the Bahraini half night marathon this weekend and there was a little bit of controversy there. It was the world's richest half marathon in terms of first place prize, hundred grand to the winner. This was a new race, very cool, but you know we didn't know about it until three days in advance. But they had great fields, and it's three cool days. Guys. How about like twenty four hours? Hey, but guys going for a hundred grand, and who wants to explain what happened? I think Walden just said the ball rain half night marathon, right? It's it's called the Bahrain Night Half Marathon, but but by saying half night marathon, like nightmare, like it was a half nightmare. So basically, Jamal Yimmer was in a it was a sprint finish with a hundred thousand dollars for first, and second place was twenty five thousand dollars. And Yimmer thought that he was about fifty meters from the finish, but there were some balloons. And he thought he won. He started celebrating, and meanwhile, um, he didn't win because a, a body had us kept running and actually won the race. I feel so bad for the guy. I mean, you could tell you just look at him. He had his head on his hands on his head in frustration. Jamal Yimmer. I mean, he cost himself $75,000. That was the difference between first and second. And he knew he was in really good shape. You know, then the similar thing happened to him in the Houston half earlier this year, where he sort of kept following the lead truck as they were coming towards the finish line. And then the lead, lead truck pulled off the course because they don't go all the way to the line. And he followed it for a little bit and he lost some momentum and then he got passed in that race. So he ended up second in both of those races. So I do feel really bad for the guy. But it was, I mean, the fact that the finish was a little bit farcical was maybe in line with the entire event because I, with this much prize money on the line, I know it was their first edition, but you would think that they would have procedures in place so that you don't have runners having to dodge vehicles in the final miles of the race that the some of these sub elite athletes are just finishing at the same time as the elite men because i think there was like a 6k course or a six mile course that you had you know hobby joggers just trotting across the finish line while the elite men are duking it out for the win and a hundred thousand dollars i mean it just looked crazy i don't think we could quite believe what was going on 
And yeah, it was just not not very professionally run. The broadcast, oh my God, the broadcast. I mean, they did have, I'll, I'll give them this. They had a free online stream that you could watch, which is more than you can say for, you know, some road races. But the stream, it was, it picked up, essentially the first half of the race was just dance music playing. No commentary whatsoever, just dance music and a very choppy feed of the race. Then halfway through, an Irishman comes on and he starts commentating, but it's clear he doesn't have any split information because there was, that's the, <laughs> that is exactly how it sounded well then. Yeah. This is it. Now they're uh, coming up the last few hundred meters there, just coming up to the gate of the Sofitel, and it looks like it's a, an all out sprint for first and second. $100,000 at stake here, but one of these meant to take that. And, and we got to stop that. That's so painful to listen to. <laughs> he doesn't know any of their names. He, he couldn't tell from the feed. He didn't know any names. There was no clock on the screen. It was the worst race broadcast I've ever watched. And I feel bad for the guy because he just didn't know the information. Okay, John, would you have known any of the names? You could not see. It was at night. They're all wearing the same things. No, I, I, that's why I'm saying I feel bad for him. I would have done no better on the broadcast than he did. The feed the feed was poor quality, and they weren't giving him information of who's, who these people were. I mean, I could kind of... I've seen Jamal Yema run a few times. I could kind of recognize him. I don't think I would have recognized Hadis just off the top of my head. But I feel bad for the guy because they weren't providing him splits or information, and the feed was really poor, and he was just having to eyeball who it was. It was it was hard to ID these people because the feed was not clear. It would be impossible to do even if you were really knowledgeable about running, but he also said something like, remember like a 58-minute mark? He's like, okay, we're getting, we're not going to get the world record, but we're, we're, we're pretty close. We have like a kilometer to go. Meanwhile, they finished in like one minute. So, you know, if you're at 58 minutes, you have a kilometer to go. That's like closer to three minutes. So, no, you're not close to a record. The other thing, John, we forgot is they, they misidentified the race winner. They, they were calling him a Kenyan, Nageno, right, for like 30, 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah, the official it, the, the official results had the wrong winner. They listed Abadi Hadith as not winning the race. It took them almost an hour to correct it on the results on the website. We don't know for a fact that Yemmer would have won because both these guys are studs. I mean, people talk about maybe one reason why the Adabel thinks they can get rid of the 5,000 is a lot of these guys are already on the roads anyways. I mean, Yemmer's 22 years old. Official age, he's won 26, 56, 58, 33. And then Hadith, who actually won, is 21 years of age officially. He ran 12.56 last year. He ran 26.57 in 2016. So that means when he would have been, God, he would have been 18, 19 years old, 18 years old, actually, when he did that. He's run 58.44. So both those guys are really, you know, big talents. I'm glad that one of them got paid big time. But the other thing that was interesting, well, I guess we kind of talked about it, was there was no advance warning this race was going on. We only found out 24 hours before the race. But I have an email of the week I want to share with you guys. Oh, excuse me, the message board post of the week. This was amazing. This was in the inaugural Bahrain Half Marathon live thread. It was like on the end of one of the like last pages, page four or five. I consider myself a bit of a running nerd. And all caps, I live in Bahrain. And I had no idea this was happening until I read the preview this morning on Let'sRun.com. I still have no idea where the course was. So this is a Let's Run visitor who lives in Bahrain who's a big running fan. He doesn't know that there's a race with, what, over $250,000 in prize money. He was running in his own town. That's how bad the publicity was. 
Here's another side note from his email. Also interesting to note, this race was held on the anniversary of the crushing of the Bahraini Rebellion when Saudi tanks rolled into the country at the request of the Bahrain king and put down the Arab Spring. Interesting, folks. So a little history lesson as PR lessons as well on Let's Run.com. So Robert, have you it, checked the IP address to see that it's actually from Bahrain with all the rival states in the Middle East fighting and you know the Saudis, what they are doing? Oh my gosh, we're now under target at Let's Run. If the, if the Bahraini Crown Prince is listening to this podcast, we will help out with next year's race. Seriously, any race like this that needs help, they just need like a little consulting. I will go one year for free to one of these things. You pay my way, obviously. The first year I'll do it for free. But we, we at Let's Run, we love the sport of running. You're putting that much money in a race, a little consulting goes a long way. We honestly all, we'd be glad to help you for free at least the first year. Pay for our transportation out there. We'll get a lot of publicity out of it. Yeah, just let us do a host extreme exclusive. Yes. But hey, not everything goes perfect at road races. They put a bunch of money and hopefully they can get it fixed next year and keep the money because the there's no group that has a ton of money, more money than the New York Roadrunners. And there was a little, I don't know, controversy is the right word at their race, but things didn't go according to plan at the United Airlines New York City Half Marathon because Bib, the guy wearing Bib number 1163, Belay Tillahoon was the race winner, and he wasn't in the elite field. Personally, I was there at the race, and it was kind of crazy because I'm watching on in, in the finish room, and then about, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes before the race ends, they take us out to the finish, and you're kind of watching on the screens there, but I'm not watching my phones, and in both races there's just a clear runaway um, winner on the, on the women's side. Jocelyn Jepkoske was way ahead. She's the world record holder. She was crushing it. She was winning on the men's side. Daniel Mesfin was just way ahead from like 5k on. And so you thought you were having two runaway winners. And then all of a sudden on the, you can see on the screen at the finish that this guy's catching him. And you're like, what's going on? Then you see, one one six three. I'm like, who the hell is that? I'm curious also if he's even showing up on the tracking. If the tracking was tied into elites, but maybe he was on the tracking at the time. And so it turned out Belay Tillahoon is a very good runner. He's fourth of the Ethiopian Olympic trials at ten thousand in two thousand sixteen. He won the South Silvestre New Year's Eve road race in twenty five thousand dollars December thirty first in Brazil. He won the big seven miler last year. He's very good. The men's field in New York was pretty weak, to be honest. It was kind of, I would say, set up to not guarantee Paul Chalimo's win, but to have him have a really good shot of winning in his first race. There was only two sub-101 guys in the race, and one of them was 40-plus-year-old Abdi Abdurrahman. But Tillahoon, he was injured by the West Side Runners, and he saw a chance to win $20,000, and he came out and did it. And I think if this happens every once in a while, it's okay. You know, a guy of, the, of that standard, he should have <laughs> a name on his bib. But what do you guys think? I think it's interesting. I think, for, you know, like you said, once in a while, I think it's cool. You know, one of the best things about our sport is that the athletes just decide on the race. Like anyone, anyone could have signed up for this race and anyone theoretically could have won if you're good enough. If you're good enough, you can go out and compete with them. And what other sport? You can't go and play the Masters alongside Tiger Woods. You can't go on play the Super Bowl with Tom Brady, but you can run the New York City half marathon and you can run some of these other marathons. And I think we'll get to the Boston 
decision about their start line in a minute, but I think it's one of the cool things about this race. That said, he should have been in the elite field. And I talked to Chris Weiler, who you know is in charge of the elite fields in New York with the New York Roadrunners. And he said that, you know, they get the West Side Runners entering their races. This is not uncommon. They've had it in other events that they do. And when they're looking at who to pull into the elite field, they will run through the entries and decide, you know, make a decision whether it makes sense to pull someone up or not. He said there are multiple things that go into that. It's if they feel comfortable with the athlete, if they know who it is, if they know who the management is, if they know what their race is, how they've been running recently, what their results are. And I think the, the reason he provided to me was that they looked through his results and they didn't know that much about him and they decided you know, they weren't going to do it. He said, I have no reason to believe, and I can tell you 100% the reason he wasn't in the pro field. It wasn't because we had any questions about him you know, in terms of whether he was dirty or you know, on drugs or anything like that, but it was because they didn't really have a feel at all. They just didn't know him. Um, that was their explanation. I think... Personally, if you look at the guy's results, if he wins the South Sylvester Road Race and if he wins the Big Seven, that to me last year, that's enough to pull him up. That's that's just my take on it. But that was the explanation given to me uh, about why he wasn't starting with the elites. I mean, how hard is it to get a subscription to tell a stop shot and see the guy's fourth in the Ethiopian Olympic trials? Therefore, by default, he's going to beat most, almost all of the Americans as he did. But, you know, I, I think it's interesting, Joy. I like it. I mean, I, my, I think the New York Roadrunners, actually one of the reasons why the races are popular is they kind of choreograph their races. They're kind of like the Olympics. They don't want to have 10 Kenyans in the event, 10 Ethiopians. So they try to put Americans because they, you know, people are familiar and there's a story behind them that, that the fans know, whereas they don't know who these random people are. But um, I like it. If, if you water down the field too much, someone's going to show up and win it, assuming that they can buy an entry fee or get into the, into the field and start near them. Now, in the, with the women's only starts, it's not possible because if you're not in the lead field, you don't win it. And um, we've got some news from Boston, which I don't really like. Yeah, and before we hit on that, I just want to clarify, it's not that they didn't know his results. They knew he had run fast in the past. They had looked at his results, but the way Chris Weiler explained it is it's an invitational race. They like having control of their field, and they like they like having a connection and knowing who their athletes are and that sort of thing. I think the fact that they didn't have that pre-existing connection, they didn't know him very well personally. That was the reason more than, you know, they didn't know that he got fourth in the Olympic trials because they did. But anyway, let's go to Boston. here. I shouldn't complain about it. I mean, you can't just show up in the NFL. You've got to be on the team. So, right. But Boston now has come out. When did y'all see this? I haven't even heard this until we get ready for the podcast. Boston now is going to start. They've always, you know, all these races want to get the women in, in case you guys didn't realize, or guys and gals didn't realize, despite what's happening in the Connecticut high schools right now, men are faster than women on average. So to give women more TV time, they start them ahead of the of the men at these elite races. So you know, marathon they might start close to thirty minutes ahead. To me, I wish it was more. I think the one elite race should finish when the other ones near halfway. But anyways, the women get a head start. So if you're not in the elite women's field, you couldn't really win the race. Now it would be a problem. What if someone who started in the mass race ran a faster time than the women's winner? That would be a PR nightmare. But I think they say you have to start in the elite race to win the prize money. With the men, it's been with the mass starts. It wouldn't matter. Anyone who ran the fastest would win the race. Um, except, I guess, a few years ago, right? Didn't Wesley Career, the Chicago men had a, an elite start that was ahead of the mass field, right, John? Because Wesley Career, remember that? He was like top five, and they didn't know what to do. I, can't, I don't remember that specifically. Yeah. So, But Boston now apparently is going to start the elite men two minutes ahead of the mass start. 
I don't like this at all. Boston's known for having like random Dartmouth grads leading for like the first few miles. Like I like everyone in the field, all 20, 30,000 having a chance to win the race. I know they're not going to win the race, but that's one of the reasons why it bothers me when I watch the wheelchair races getting so much time on the television broadcast. I love, Hey, the wheelchair, the Paralympians, they're inspiring. I'm inspired by them. I love them, but there was 56 wheelchair racers at the 2018 New York City Marathon. There's like 56,000 runners in the main field. So which is harder to win? It's a lot harder to win an actual marathon because there's millions of people that run in, in the U.S. There aren't that many people in the world. There aren't that many. There aren't millions of people that are doing wheelchairs. So I like. I know that the average hobby jogger isn't going to win the race, but theoretically they could. So I don't like the – why do you need to start the elite men two minutes before everybody else? That's just stupid. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't think it makes sense. I think it, you know, it, it, I guess it covers their asses so that they can. They don't want to repeat of a situation in Boston last year where they had some women who weren't part of the elite field clamoring that they deserved the prize money because they finished in the top ten even though they didn't start right with the elite women because their time was good enough. I think they they saw they got p- negative PR from that. Even though I wouldn't have blamed them for not paying these women out, but they got negative PR for it. They did pay the women out. I think they don't want the same thing happening in the men. They want to make it very clear: if you don't start with the elite field, you you can't get prize money. They're still going to have the problem. It's going to be worse for the men actually because now you're going to have the problem times two. So if some man who doesn't start in the elite field runs faster, he, you're still going to have the same PR problem. You know, if some Kenyan decides to run in the mass race and runs 212 and gets sixth he's going to complain about it so i i think you're making the you're making the problem i i know they can say the rule is still going to be a pr nightmare it's not going to work well but now they can say the rule applies equally to each gender because in the past the men started the elite men started with everyone else in the men's field so you could say they all started at the same time so we can pay out a man who finishes in the top 10 who wasn't part of the elite field but we can't pay out the women because the women have a separate start yeah, it's, there's, this is again, these people are trying to have the same rule apply to everything. That's fine. If a woman r- happens to run the time, just pay her out. It's not that much money. Exactly. It's happened once because of freak weather. So just if someone's in the top 10 on time, pay them out. Like, who cares? It's not going to be that much money. But once again, this goes back to sort of the cross country event. What do fans want? People think it's cool to start with the pros at the same time. The gun goes off, you go with them, and they. 225 guy who gets to go off of the gun and maybe he gets a little TV. That's like part of Boston. What's wrong with that? It represents the dream. It's cool. Getting to start with the pros. That's what these races are about. It's about the equality of it all. And everyone's there on the same starting line. And yes, now we have waves because we have so many athletes, but if you get to go off in the first wave, you should start when everyone else starts. So let's, I don't see what problem they're trying to fix. There is no problem here. And unless you're trying to prevent someone like, an event like this thing happening in in New York where someone not invited wins the race, but outright, because now they're two minutes behind, they're not going to do it, but I don't get it. It amazes me. These administrators just repeatedly don't understand the appeal of their sport, except for this guy in Denmark who's amazing. Well, Boston may be worried about people picking up prize money from the mass races, but I know one race that doesn't have to worry about that, the London Marathon. Can we just put out a shout out? How good is that women's race going to be this year? One thing that happened last week, we talked about the Bahrain night and half marathon, but we didn't talk about the women's winner, $100,000, Bridget Coast guy, who also won Chicago in the fall. She's doing amazing right now, 65 something. And then Vivian Chariot, the winner of the London marathon last year, Vivian won London last year. Bridget was second. 
she wins, breaks the course record in Lisbon last week in 66-34. Mary Catani is going to be in that race. That is going to be insane. I'm picking Coast Guy as the favorite right now. Read the week that was to find out why. But th- that's absurd. So I just wanted to get that out there. Um, we need to wrap this show up, guys, pretty soon. But I, I think there's a few other... I know. I mean, wrap up our portion before we get to Meb. And what I wanted to say was two things. I know Beto O'Rourke's getting a lot of attention for the Democratic nominee for president. Isn't he the leader now? Or is Bernie the leader? They have early polls. I mean, Do we have a leader at this point? I mean, we're so far away. I guess I'm sure there is, but... I think they should ban polls. Yeah. Anyways, but did he make a mistake? He ran a 5K over the weekend. Shouldn't he have run a 3,000 to show that he's forward-thinking like the IAAF? Or is he showing he's a man of the people, a man of the masses, by running the 5,000? Yes, 24-15. We'll, we need to make sure the course was certified, but Beto, the leading the candidates in the Let's Run.com. Should we endorse him? Possibly. I mean, has anyone else run a 5K? He's a Texan. He's a Texan. I made a joke. We should we should not mention politics. I made some joke about Trump being an idiot, and the guy gave me a one star in the iTunes review. Yeah, can other people give us good reviews? Honestly, if you like the podcast, please give us ratings. Five stars only. If you're not going to give us a five star, please don't go. Five stars. Refresh. Hit again. Log in. Different names. Appreciated. There's one other thing, and I think this should be... Did I put this on the message board or did someone else? I think I found it. Maybe I put it under a fake name. Do you guys see that if you think the idol of hates distance running and hates Kenyans and Ethiopians, like I can see why people think that like they've now banned the 10,000 at world juniors. Guess where world juniors are going to be next time. Don't have to guess they're in Nairobi, Kenya next year. Yeah. So, so let's, let's get rid of the, an event that would be really popular in the home country and would be won by probably the home country, Ethiopia, at least be compelling drama. I mean, wow. It's just mind boggling. The, the stupidity of some of these decisions. I think they've also gotten rid of the 5,000 actually there too. So there's going to be no 10 and 5. Again, we're going to have a 3,000. No, we we need a 1,500 and a 5,000. 3,000 is too much like the 1,500. And I think that even shows that it's like, we still support distance running. You guys are going overboard. You know, we had a mock funeral of the 5,000 meters last time, but now the 5 and the 10 are going to be out of world juniors. And Tom Jordan, the director of the Prefontaine Classic, told us that the original plan was to scrap all distance races over 3000 meters or up. And he, you know, it made it sound like that they fought to get the 3000 in, which actually distance fans don't like you kind of see the writing on the wall or where things are heading. And you, if you don't fight early, slowly these things disappear. And that's why the Danish guy is so brilliant because the average runner is a 5k, a 10k runner. And he understands that you got to support the athletic community, not just try to appeal to people who are never probably going to like track and field anyway. Robert, you said we never should talk about politics, but we're going to start a politics segment. We said this last time with web developer Eric, who's deep in Iowa, going underground. We have boots on the ground in Iowa. We're going to turn hour three, remember, into politics. But we're going to have to – that'll be next week. We'll have to hold that up. Top threads of the week, we had the holy smoke. A non-invited athlete just won the United Airlines NYC half. Quinn Jorgensen status and Eric Jenkins status are the number two, number three threads. We'll have to get to those next week because we've got our interview with a five-star athlete himself, Meb Kofleski. We'll play Meb's interview. And then afterwards, Robert and John, I have some interesting, I don't know, feedback when I was running through the park 
and passed Meb Kofleski. And I'll tell you what happened there. We did not know each other was going to be in the park. That'll be after the podcast. But first, here's Meb Kofleski, 40 minutes, 43 minutes, I think, talking about his new book, 26 Marathons. And we ask him if there will be a 27th marathon at the Olympic trials and some interesting reflection on his career and what he's up to now. Here it is, Meb. All right, it's an honor to be joined by the first live runner for the podcast. We had Floyd Landis. <laughs> he's the only other live person, and he's known for other things, but joined by Meb Kofleski. Meb, great great to see you. Thanks, Floyd. Thanks for having me. I know you were in town for a investor conference that my wife kind of helped do the PR for, and prior to that, I was just running in the park, and there you were going the other direction. Yeah, I was at Central Park running and, uh, you know, I got to get the anxiety out a little bit or plan ahead of the, what I'm going to be talking about or run the questions in my head. Uh, so I was do- I was here in New York for Marathon Asset Management and Hedge Fund, an investment company. And I, I secretly snuck in and heard the talk. I thought it was really good. Oh, appreciate it. And I've heard runners talk before, but I was kind of curious, what do you guys talk about? Not at a running event. Your life story, I thought you did a great job. You had the little video beforehand. So people, you want to hire Meb? It's well worth the money. Yeah. Thanks, uh, thanks, Dad. You know, it's a, it's an honor to be able to be share stories of running, but use them in a real life experience. So sometimes with this one, we did a question and answers fire chat, fireside chat, but sometimes graduations or commencement speeches, things like that, has been pretty well received as well. And also good timing because essentially I saw you knew you were in town in the podcast. I just start looking at your Twitter and that sort of stuff. You got the new book coming out next week or. You can pre-order now, right? Or but you can pre-order. It comes from March 19, less than a week away now. It's uh, it's called 26 Marathons, and it's a journey and memoir of all my 26 marathons. What I have learned through the ups and downs of the marathon. And most people say uh, marathon is a metaphor for life, and you should learn that about my my life journey about that, and then also through through, through the marathons. And the marathon definitely is a metaphor for life. And let's start with the book. You just handed me a copy, and I think it's kind of good. That I don't know anything about it, but once Scott Douglas wrote it and he was involved with your last book and Scott knows running he used to be the editor of running times. Now he does work for R- runner's world. And, but he's a, you know, he comes at it from, I think the competitive running side of things. Talk a little bit about how this book idea came about and the thought process behind it. Well, it's called 26 marathons. And obviously my first marathon was in New York here in 2002, where I did my first marathon. I hated it. This is my first and last marathon. I never wanted to do ever again but then i went back to my roots where i was born in eritrea saw how people were surviving going to uh, in the wilderness to collect woods they go to the well to get water i guess you know what ran a marathon that complaint that i had in the last 40 minutes was not that bad so i came back and tried to convince coach larson to put me in boston marathon and uh, he says since i ran 212 35 on my first marathon i missed the a standard by 35 seconds and he wanted me to put me on a flat course where i went to chicago and in chicago sometimes wasn't as uh, well. I didn't go for the win. I always try to go for the win and see what happens. But at that race, I just went for the time and I fell in love with it because I, I didn't hit the wall. And uh, but the marathon, the story of the book is just to the lessons, you know, sometimes going to the Olympic trials, under promise, over deliver. Things not always go, doesn't go your way. Even though you run a PR, you get setbacks and then you have to kind of get back on your feet and uh, going to Athens. I was a 10K guy versus a marathon guy, but we have to make a decision, you know, six miles, two weeks vacation or a marathon and a hot, hilly, humid course and going to Athens. And then uh, 
39th guy on the field and uh, not much chance to to do well but you got to surround yourself with good people train really well and smart and then go out there and execute a good plan it's kind of crazy you've done 26 marathons <laughs> i would have said i don't know i would know you've done more than 10 but i would say you've had like 10 good marathons or but 26 is a lot and it sort of i think shows just yeah the journey you've been on and you're doing it a long time I mean, you're only a few years younger than me, and I can't imagine running a marathon at a competitive level. When you talk to an average person on a flight or a restaurant and things like that, they always says, how far is the New York City Marathon? How far is the Boston Marathon? How far is the you know, Houston Marathon? You tell me, they're all 26.2 miles. Some of them are hillier, some of them downhill. So the reason I end up doing 26 marathon, being a student of the sport, is to educate people. There's 26.2 miles in a marathon, and and when I was probably after winning the Boston Marathon in 2014, I said, you know what, I'm going to try to make another Olympic team. And then I was, I know what numbers I was. So I said, oh, you know what, I'm going to do the Olymp- hopefully make the Olympic team and then do Boston and then finish up where it started all in New York City Marathon as my 26th and final competitive marathon. But you're going to need an encore for the book, right? You're going to need a 27th marathon. <laughs> and I was glad to see you running in the park. I must admit, I didn't notice you till you went by me. So I don't know how fast you're running, but I was distracted because a woman had just passed me going the other direction and I was kind of flustered. <laughs> but is there any chance that you would come back and do a 27th marathon, which I think some a lot of people would presume would be the Olympic trials? You know, there's always been a back burner, to be honest, just because sometimes you run a lot and... I love running. I have passion for running, and uh, but also you're supposed to do follow your passion. What you're supposed to do more, and then have more time. So I've been, you know, usually sometimes I drop out the kids off at school and go for a run. So at one point I was running 60, 70 miles a week, uh, six days a week. But late, recently I have not been running as much. But it's always interesting to think about it because now it's less less than a year away. But I'm completely happy with my career. Sometimes, but it's in the back of the head as a burner, you think, you know. Should I? Should I not? But as of right now, no. <laughs> so there's a swim chance. You're saying there's a chance? <laughs> my fa- one of my favorite movie, uh, Dumb and Dumber, Jim Carrey says, so you tell me there's a chance. One in, even one in a million, right? <laughs> I think we gave you like a one in 50,000 shot of winning Boston. So I think the odds <laughs> of you coming back are higher. So, right? I think the odds are pretty big. Uh, I still love to run. I still love to run. I, I, you know, I haven't you know, I know what it takes to be at that high level. And I'm since I've done New York City Marathon, I really haven't done the work. I've done one somewhat just kind of see what I could do at the Bell and Run in Green Bay. And that's the only time I probably push myself. At one point early on, like January of 2018, Coach Larson wanted uh, to ride a, his bike with me. And I said, Coach, you know, I'm not for that. I don't want to make an appointment. And he's like, yeah, you know, I want to ride along. Well, if you're going to ride along with me, I'm going to do a workout, you know, I just did a workout and I was trying to just break a five minute and see what I could do. And I was going to fall, but I ended up doing like six and then end up in really fast one. He's like, we need you to find your race. We need you to find your race. But I'm like, no. Well, you did six miles sub five. Is that what you said? Uh, I started at 4.52 and then ended up in 4.36 on the road. What? Yeah. In January of 2018? 2018. It's been a year. It's been a year. Because I remember seeing Holloway at maybe last year in Houston. And there had been some talk of you maybe doing that race, right? Uh, There was a talk about that. Because, I mean, marathons... You know, they're, they're, they're tough. They can't walk the next day. can't walk for normal for a week. So I was done. So I thought about doing shorter races like a 10K or 
a half marathon. So, you know, New York did not go the way I wanted to go as 2017. Right. So I was thinking, oh, maybe I should jump in the half marathon for fun and see. But then, you know, I got sick or something didn't happen. I forget that New York was, what, 15 months ago. I was wondering, because Meb's last marathon three months ago or 15 months yeah, ago, but... Uh, 15 months ago. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, when's the last time you ran a sub five minute mile? Last time I ran a five-minute mile was uh, at the Bellum Run, I guess, in uh, June. What did you do there? I think I ran, literally, I haven't done any workout tempo, the intervals. I just jumped in, in the run, and uh, I ran 31.06 or 31.08. It was pretty consistent, and uh, my good friend Jared uh, Ward was there, and he says, what, what? I thought you retired. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the last time I ran, as even, I didn't remember the last time I did sub six, so it's been a while. Yeah, I'm surgra- surprised guys on Let's Run weren't critiquing the run. I didn't even know about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, when you go run, do you just go jog? You never do pick it up? You just go easy every day? or I go easy every day. Um, I don't do the intervals, but sometimes uh, if somebody pass, goes past me then wants to challenge me, then I throw my competitive hat on <laughs> but no i just i just go i don't do you know sometimes i start really slow i, I start even sometimes eight minute eight twenty pace and then go down to seven thirties and then eventually by the end of the run i probably run six thirties six twenties but nothing you know some you know i think i was december of 2017 probably a couple times i broke six minutes when i was in austin just for a function you got to start increasing the pace. <laughs> start thinking about the comeback. <laughs> Everybody loves the comeback. All sports. Everybody's the, been saying about that. The comeback know? is universal. Yeah, it is universal, but you got to know your limits. <laughs> we'll have a marathon, marathon, raise marathon money. We'll have a charity cause or a college <laughs> fund for your kids, something. We'll crowdsource it. Yeah. We need Meb back out there. <laughs> Appreciate the support. You yeah. Know that, you know. Well, turning away from the 27th race... The 26 races in the book, even just hearing you at the conference, like what you were saying about Athens, people forget about your career. We think of Meb, the great marathoner, and like you didn't even win the Olympic trials in 2004, yet your silver medal, your century silver medal at the Olympic trials and silver medal at the Olympics. Yeah. And then silver medal at the New York City Marathon uh, that year, 70 days later. So, I mean, for me, most people know, I guess, social media as a marathon runner, but at one point I was an American record holder in the 10K that lasted for nine years and ran 13.11 in the 5K. Uh, that was uh, the fourth fastest in the U.S. history at the time. But I always, of course, Larson and I always knew that 5K, 10K training is going to it's gonna make the marathon training easier. So we focused on that, but I used to go back and forth. And in 2009 is when I made a full commitment to uh, marathoning. And uh, that was due to my wife, Ashley, saying, you know what? You already got American record. What else do you want? And is it for personal gratification under to under twenty seven? Because I wanted that lucrative under twenty seven minute. But and then you know what? She had a point. I said, you know what? Uh, uh, I want to be able to be a more of a marathoner. And 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 then, then eventually just ran one hundred one in the half at the San Jose. And then four weeks later, I won the New York City Marathon, which was a win that USA jersey. Didn't go to Beijing because I had pelvic fracture. Didn't qualify, and so that was my personal gold medal for me be able to not be able to walk and then take about a year and a half of therapy and win the New York City Marathon with a silver medalist from Beijing was there, four-time Boston champion, Robert Cheria was there, and a lot of Olympians, including Ryan Hall and many others. So I said, you know what? That was very gratifying. Yeah, I missed that one. I was not here. <laughs> I was at a family function falling on my, I think streaming was kind of new on the phones then. 
And I was like, he's going to win. What? Like, <laughs> how is this happening? I couldn't believe it. Because you'd been, you'd missed the Olympics the year before and really bad injuries. Do you go into that in the book at all? Like how bad the injuries oh, were? Oh, yeah. The bad, the, I mean, I was in my knees and elbows. Uh, I couldn't get up. And I have to fill from one side of the bed to the other. I have to lift my leg up. And with a good friend of mine, Ryan Shepas, you know, where he kind of put life in perspective versus not making the Olympic team. So that was probably one of the lowest point of my running career. And I thought, contemplated about retiring as well. So that December, I remember in San Jose talking to my, old, my oldest brother and Howie. I probably need to get some more support now than ever because I'm probably going to make a change into retirement. But I really... Before we left New York City that weekend, I t- remember telling my brother and, and my wife that said, I guess New York City Marathon will be my Olympics and let's pray about it because what I was doing to train, I was probably too fit that I went overboard trying to win my first marathon ever. Second in Boston, I mean, third in Boston, second in the Olympic, third in Boston, I mean, uh, in, in New York and second in New York. I'm like, I want that win. And obviously Ryan Hall ran a phenomenal race and blew it out of the ballpark and uh, but my training was going really well going up to that race. And I said, you know, there's still more in the tank that I really wanted to do. And watching the Beijing Olympics, uh, I was devastated watching my living room. And I tell my wife, gold, Sammy, uh, Sammy ran phenomenal. There's no way I can, the Kenyan. Uh, yeah, that could, uh, it was hot. It was hot. But I told her, I think I could have contended for uh, silver and bronze. Bronze for sure. I think I would have thought I would get another uh, bronze medal, but the silver would have been very possible as well. But so in 20, 2009, I was, I was a uh, revenge time, almost at the competitive me. I want to pe- beat as many Olympians as I can, whether it was cross country on the road or on the marathon. 2009 was a good year for you. So, so I didn't realize your wife gets credit for the New York city win. She's yeah. the one who said, focus on the marathon. That. And then I had a, in, on the book at the 26 marathon, I talk about, I woke up, on September 21st or 19th, the Great North Run was happening. And then I woke up the next day. I had a dream that I won a New York City Marathon. And I haven't run San Jose half yet. And I said, you know, I came out from upstairs, downstairs to the upstairs. I says, uh, I had a dream. And uh, I told her that I won the New York City Marathon. She's like, oh, that's great. And she goes, do you know what happened at the Great North Run? I'm like, no, what happened? She's like, Martin Le ran like 59 something. And then... Uh, Gorib was there that he ran 59 something or 60 or four or something. I said, well, you know, I said, well, I guess I should say goodbye to that dream. But then I get, took me about two minutes later. I said, well, I think they picked too soon. They have to run on November 1st. They have to be ready to run that time. And I think they, they, they picked too soon. And then obviously I ended up coming winning. Martin Leo got injured and ran the race in New York, that is. And then Gorib was end up being third place there. And, and I ended up winning the New York City Marathon. You were pretty good on the track, though. So this concept that you don't have speed, but you never really ran a super fast marathon. Do you ever sort of wonder, oh, what you could have run on a f- super fast course in the right conditions, or ponder how how did I beat these guys who can run two o three? Yeah, two o three. <laughs> I was going to say two o four or two o one. Now, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. crazy. No, I think it's it's just like I said earlier. You just got to do on that day. And I'm always been a competitor. You know, I, it's not like I didn't have chances to run in London or Chicago, but the timing or the pacing was not to my, or fitness was not up to par. Uh, to, but I always felt I could run, whether it's 206 or 205, it just got to be at the right time. And my time was, you know, the fall was always in New York. I love New York City Marathon. I hey, did you it. run Chicago once? I ran one, but just I didn't go for the win. I ran, I just wanted to get that to 12. I ended up running to 1003 and ended up getting seventh place. But, and then London, I started with 2000, uh, 
yeah, 2007, I was having a Achilles problem. I dropped out and then highly dropped out. Stefano Boldin, who was a gold medal, dropped out. Myself and uh, Khalid Kanucci. So by the time we got to the finish line, everybody thought we went one, two or something. You know, we, we already finished the race. And <laughs> that's like, congratulations. Kind of the spectators are like, well, the short answer is thank you and get away. <laughs> yeah, what's the lesson for? I need the book. Where's my right, copy of the right book? There. Oh, what's the lesson for the book for that marathon? Cut your losses and move forward. Uh, the reason being, the reason I stopped is, you know, you hear Achilles been very sensitive, career-ending injury, and I, I really wanted to make another Olympic team in 2008, which it was held in November of seven. So I wanted uh, to not miss up my Achilles and save my uh, my energy and not thinking about the Olympic trials, making the Olympic trials, and then hopefully go win another medal. But you can do everything right and then not pan out the way you planned it to. Yeah, this book is great. Just thumbing through <laughs> Boston the year after winning New York. And this is so true. It's better to be 90% ready and make it to the start <laughs> line than to panic Yeah, yeah. and, and become either overtrained or unable to start the race. Running, I think in some ways, is really trying not to get injured. We are type A personality. We, yeah. want to, we are so meticulous about details. We are so meticulous going that extra mile or doing follow and follow. But, you know, a day off or a week off would have saved me the 2000 eight Olympic trials, which it was held in November of seven, that would, that would, I could have at any point that summer or that time, if I had taken a week off, I would have been okay. But because I really wanted, you know, we are so driven that right. I wanted to win. I started my New York City Marathon here. I was second place here, third place here. I'm like, I'm due for a win here. But obviously it, it didn't pan out the way it should, that I, I depicted it. Well, number eight, I mean, <laughs> 22202 man not very good there uh, what year is that, 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 that New York 2006 oh so, food poisoning so a lot of things happen you know I uh, that's when I really thought my chances of winning the New York City Marathon is done because I was ready for that 2006 New York City Marathon and uh, decided and then on Thursday I came there was 11 of us or 8 of us having dinner I was the only one that had the food poisoning <laughs> and here I am and then the, the, the Santos won it from Brazil. I said, 209.50 something. And, and I ran thinking, to, and then I said, that's my year, right? 205 yeah. I, when I had only eight weeks of training with the rupture quad after, after Helsinki World Championship. Eight weeks of training, I finished 209.56. And then 209.53 was my PR after 70 days only after Athens. I said, there's my chance. My chances of winning the year is gone. You know, it's over. And then uh, obviously never count. Shortcut yourself, never give up on your dreams. And it's just, a, a, it's even much more sweeter when it's later on when I won the 2009, the New York City Marathon. Your career is like a storybook. Oh. And I think the setbacks make it even more beautiful. Well, your biggest victories, I feel like, I would say one, the medal at the Olympics, even the New York City win, the Boston win, nobody expected any of those. <laughs> and you did all three. You're the only, the only person to do that, medal in, well, in Boston. You know, I became, I'm a student of the sport. I always said, okay, who medaled? And then uh, Frank Shorter, did he win New York? Did he win Boston? And Boston, uh, Billy, but Rogers won Boston. I wanted to be like him, win Boston. And then obviously Alberto won New York and he did that. And then at one point I said, you know, who else has done those? There was a, uh, uh, one guy that did both medal in New York, and then I'm like, well, how about Boston? You know, that's a personal challenge that you have. And uh, I talk a lot about running and the marathon, but my Run to Overcome book is all about overcoming obstacles from poverty in Eritrea, where I ate dirt to survive. I remember just eating dirt, something in my brain told me to eat dirt, just like something in my brain told me in Boston Marathon Mile 5, go for it. 
So there's instincts. So you were a little kid and you ate dirt. I ate dirt. For nutrition or like for just you hungry? I was hungry. I had a really bloated stomach. I don't know the name of it, but I, re- I was a kid in the area. I was known the guy that with a bloated stomach. You know, I was because my nutrition. To overcome from that and to be able to, you know, my journey, my dad's walk from 225 miles to from Eritrea to Sudan, not knowing if he's ever going to see his family, leaving behind a wife and six kids, not sleeping on the tree because the hyenas or snakes or scorpions are going to bite you. So sleeping on a tree like this cross on a, bran- on a, on a branch. Uh, having nightmares, things like that. Those are the things that, so that's why you see me when there is opportunities, I never let it waste. I'm going to go through the, through a lot of pain, through whatever is necessary to make my experience with other people pleasant or drive to that finish line at the best I can, even if it's two hours and 22 minutes, you know, I, I can walk there. Or when I had the Mike Cassidy story in 2013, I can say, my, my mind says go, my body says no. And uh, at that point, I was just, I knew how to, how to feel to win New York, but I know Many people, Hurricane Sandy got canceled. Many people came here, didn't get to the finish line, but I can still walk and finish. The bombing happened in 2013, you know, um, Boston. And 2013, New York City Marathon was supposed to be my last, my last, my last marathon and retire after that. But After which one? Uh, New York City 2013 was technically yeah. supposed to be. Do the Olympics, I, I begged Nike to give me a, a contract until 2012 or 2013 just because I wanted to finish with them and, and didn't happen. So <laughs> because I tell them, I don't want to be there just to hold on on. I want to be able to perform to the best that I can. And anytime I felt if I can't finish in the top 10 at the major world marathons, then I, I should probably, I love it, but I should probably retire. So uh, we didn't sign the data line, but we made a commitment to see that would be my last. So now it's, you know, six years ago, that was supposed to be my last marathon. So when did you sign with Skechers? 2011, August of the 1st, 2011. Oh, and th- so that I, was through 13, you were saying you kind of thought that would be it. Well, no, we did a year to year, actually. With oh. Skechers was a year to year, but there was a year to year. They, they were new to running. They were then allowed with actors and stuff. They were given a six-month contract or one-year <laughs> contract. So, but, uh, you know, now I'm with them till 2023. So, it's an honor. It's been a great partnership. Uh, but, yeah, no, we, Howie and I decided... Uh, 2013, but because of Hurricane Sandy, because of uh, the bombing, something internally told me that you should keep going. And uh, glad I, I'm glad I. Yeah, kept I mean, going. even with the bombing, and then you win the next year, it's like yeah, that's what I mean. I, mean, I, I really think some people mock destiny, but if anyone was destined to win this stuff, it was you. And even your that's whole the storybook. That's the storybook of the Boston Marathon. You know, I didn't talk about it too much at that conference that we had uh, with Mar- uh, Marathon Asset Management, but that's, people want to know that it never gets tired, you know, it's just the right time, right place. And just like I said, something in my brain told me eat dirt and something in my brain told me I'm five miles, go for it, go for it. They're trying to slow down. If you're going to win, if you're going to be top three, if you're going to be a person of best, go leave it out there. If you get a lot, if you get lose, you lose. But at the same time, you know, mile 18, I'm like, just my point. what's going on? What's going on? How come they're not coming? I, I was so focused. I did not even see going through the halfway point. I'm pretty sure there was a clock there. I remember to come back from that. I mean, when's the last time someone did that to win a marathon? 99%, 90, <laughs> always get caught. But yeah. I was fight. But those, you know, in the book, I talk about the, all the small details that you do. You know, I did the drills six days a week. The stretching that you do two times a day and all those foam rolling, all those things that you do nutritionally. It came in handy because sometimes you don't know if it's going to pan out the way you want to, but being posture, just stay focused, stay focused. 
and the crowd, you know, people are chanting USA, USA doing the wave. And I, got, I even got motion. I'm like, USA, USA. You know, concentrate on the race. Oh, great the character race. And, there for you, man. Usually and, you're uh, composed. Yeah. And then uh, obviously, game, you know, 36,000 other people were trying to do something positive on Boston Street, show their resilience and persistence to that. We're not going to give up. And I was just a fortunate one to be able to be in the lead. And, you know, it's, it's the grace of God that I was able to pull that victory and I had the victims' names in my I wanted to have a picture. I'm under my bib and the pull out at the end, but I wrote their names, you know, as an athlete, you're not supposed to write anything on your bib, but I wrote a Sharpie and it went viral when I, when I wrote the victim's name there. Yeah. If somebody made a Hollywood movie on this, they would believe it, right? You know, producer, producer. Right. you're in New York, <laughs> between New York and LA, I think you, you've got it down. Yeah. You know, you talk about possibly retiring. That was after the trials in 2007 or before? Yeah, yeah. So I was in 2008, you know, that was a big milestone. And I mean, my body gave up on me, literally. I mean, uh, I didn't realize I had pleasure fracture until 10 weeks later. Uh, Dr. Lewis Meher. Oh, after the race. Yeah, because Ryan Shea passed away. And, you know, I just kind of put my life in perspective. You know what? An injury is an injury. Or I saw a doctor here. He says, well, you know how hard Central Park is. And then they said, you know, you have a glute, gluteus medius injury or, or spasm on it. It's not, you know, and, but I'm going like this, you know, I'm right. lift my leg up to turn in bed and pain. But, and then, you know what? I'm happy with the silver medal. I'm happy with the American record. Am I, <laughs> not when I imagine what I was eating during right. a little kid. So it's beyond my, ever my expectation. So I thought about it. Yeah. Just call it a day and go get a job. I mean, your somewhere. story would have been amazing as is. <laughs> silver medal, American record, 10K. Coming from Eritrea, your family the, represents the American dream. Someone should write a, do a movie on your family. But I think if you retire then, you're not the Meb now. You're not <laughs> traveling to New York doing speeches now. I mean, maybe here and there a couple of running events, but do you ever think what you'd be doing now if you'd retired then? Oh, I mean, probably go down to coaching job, I think. And I think probably some kind of entrepreneur business uh, would have been always an interest of mine. Obviously, there was a big article in San Diego, San Diego paper. Bryce Miller, who went to Eritrea, he asked me that question. What would your life been imagined if you were in Eritrea? I said, one, would I be alive from the war? Two, I've probably been a farmer and have cattle. But that's not what God has planned for me, you know, through the mercy of God. And I was able, to, my dad was able to escape. My dad was uh, able to escape and then get the family out. And then eventually we came here, you know, not October 21st, 1987, which is... A dream realized second life and uh, nine out of, uh, there's 11 of us, I have half sister, but nine have graduated out of college and done or gone beyond even masters and MBAs and doctor in law. So we came here with nothing, just the clothes on our back and some of the bags even got lost in, you know, in New York connecting to San Diego. <laughs> but uh, parents woke us up about 4.30 in the morning to learn English through the dictionary. So before going 7.30 o'clock class and and my brother, when he got that trophy, the ninth grade, imagine yourself going to a different country, not speaking the language or not, didn't have education background and place in ninth grade. Hey, you're saying this in the comments, your older brother mm-hmm. won like most, top uh, student? Most, uh, most outstanding student at, at Roosevelt Junior High. In uh, his and, first year here? In the first year here. Not knowing English? Yeah. Well, you better get up to speed. <laughs> What's he doing now? I need to meet this guy. Oh, he's great. He's an uh, electrical engineering for a Texas Instrument, but he's been with the same company, National Semiconductors, for, uh, since 96, so 23 years. In fact, uh, yesterday was his 50th birthday. 
Oh, wow. So happy birthday, Fuzzle. Happy birthday. <laughs> it's funny because I've only really met Howie. And- you know, how, you know, you know Fuzzle and then I play MBA and then I'm the runner and then my sister who's a doctor from UCLA and then Howie, law degree from UCLA. And, you know, when you have a good nutrition, you know, when you're eating dirty, you know, you barely survive. But when you have good nutrition, I have a sister who ended up going to Stanford and graduate from Stanford as well. And all of them have done, I'm proud of them. All of them have done an amazing thing. We're just blessed for the opportunities people have given us and chances to to be part of the American journey. Do we like 10 minutes? Okay. Yeah, the, your family's totally amazing. What, what do you think, what's your dream job if you weren't, weren't a runner right now? <laughs> I get that, that question quite a bit. It would have been an electric, uh, engineering or a doctor. It's the two things that I, when I was at UCLA, I started doing the all chemistry and all calculus and all that stuff. Oh, wow. so, and then my brother, who was in engineering, uh, said, well, if you're going to be traveling on the weekends, then... Maybe this th- this field is not for you. <laughs> so you're gonna say like UCLA track coach or something? Uh, yeah. <laughs> my roommate's doing that, and both my teammates, uh, every Anderson is the head head guy there, and then Devin Alessandro, who was my roommate as a freshman, my rival in high school, but roommate, and that's a bit of run, right? Rivals one day, and then friendship the next day, roommate the next year. So he's a head coach there. He's the head UCLA. I coach? mean, head co- head cross country coach. Oh, and that's then cool. Every is uh, who was a football player, and then also track 110 hurdles is the head guy there and speaking of head coaches your head coach there's a book coming out another book about bob larson yeah from matthew fetterman yeah so it's coming up in june uh, i believe and then uh you know coach coach larson has been more than a father figure for me more than a coach so his all day so with the humble toads is what the story is about and you know his journey he also has very uh, humble beginning in minnesota where grew up probably with no, without electricity and you know, water. So that's kind of the bonding moment that we had. But He told it, you that? You believed him? Come on. <laughs> this is America, man. No, everybody's he lived on a farm. He had farm. He had farm. So. <laughs> he had cows. He was ahead of you. Yeah, yeah. You take your kids back to your retreat, right? Yeah, they've been back. We we're thinking of going this summer, but I'm not sure 100% of that. But we were there for two months in 2017. We took the youngest, the oldest one in 2000. Seven right after London, I DNF and then end up going to uh, Eritrea. She was too young, but then my wife and I wanted to show them the roots of where they were from, where their parents are from. Kind of show some, don't take things for granted. Like I said yeah, earlier, really. when opportunity comes, you got to seize them uh, the moment. And then for them, they get everything and anything here in the US. We try not to spoil don't them. Don't spoil them, Matt, please. <laughs> not spoil <laughs> them, but try to provide the best opportunity for them. But seeing their cousins, a relative, and in the villages is uh, hopefully will, will trigger something for them to be a good people. And speaking of birthdays, it's on Twitter. One of them's a teenager now. Yeah, I have a teenager. Uh, Sarah just turned uh, 13 and then uh, Fio will be 11 here in a, in a couple of weeks and then a nine-year-old. Wow. Yeah. What's your number one parenting tip for people out there? <laughs> just what you just said, don't spoil them. I, I really think my, both my, my parents and my dad and Jordan's dad, that's why he says, you know, provide things for kids, but don't ever spoil them because if you spoil them, then they feel entitlement. The whole parenting thing, I think, is getting crazy here. Did what? you hear about this ch- cheating scandal yesterday? <laughs> USC, UCLA. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, all, all, all of our schools are involved. I, you know, I didn't hear about the UCLA until this morning, but I was reading the video a little bit and uh, through Twitter, and then I was like, I couldn't believe it. It never, it never could never occur to me you can do such thing. But <laughs> two hundred fifty grand to get into UCLA, USC. Wow. So that means UCLA would have been more, right? <laughs> but I'm just, I can't believe somebody, like, teach your kid hard work or give them the money. Think what they could do with that money. I mean, my goodness. You know, well, then, it's, uh, society is, you know, people are paying for 
parenting in many ways nowadays. And I think the more we can be, I mean, I try, but I'm not perfect. I try the best that I can. Uh, my wife does a better job than I do to be able to just keep them humble, trying to be there for them all the time. And uh, when I'm at home, I love taking them to walk them to school or have a little chat and bring them from school. And then obviously my weekends are usually taken because of races or speaking engagements. But go outside, go outside instead of the, the tabs, you know, phones and iPads. Hey, do you limit your kids' screen time? Yeah, we do. We do. There's no TV on the, on the on weekdays. That's how we grew up. Both my wife and I grew up. Unless the Boston Marathon's on, right? <laughs> Unless the Boston. On Monday. Uh, well, you know, it <laughs> was, I think, I think uh, Fiori was, Fiori was Miss, Mr. Pistachio's class. I remember he had it on on, his, on the projector. And from what I heard is they were on the floor watching it. And then, uh, you know, maybe the last hour or so. And then by the time I was finishing up without realizing it, they got up. They all got up and they got closer and closer and closer to the TV. This are I think she was uh, this is when transition you won? kindergarten in kindergarten. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. So he told me that. So he was a photographer. I'm like, I wish I could have that picture because you're watching the TV and all of a sudden you're sitting down and all of a sudden get it, into, it gets interesting and interesting. They just got up without anything, then got kind of moved a little bit toward this projector. So it was a really cool experience for what they told me. Oh, that's cool. She got to yeah. see it. In the... Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was neat. Your, parents, your kids go to good schools then. <laughs> thanks yeah we should do rapid fire kind of try to end this i got too many questions i want to ask you how about i mean there's just so many <laughs> i don't know how i'm gonna get these in there You're good, good good questions that's what it means <laughs> okay we'll just i'll just go by these rapid fire try to get quick answers any do you have any regrets looking back at your career yeah i think the Stefano Boldini, you know, when I tell them in the book, I talk about uh, 5K to go, Stefano Boldini made a move. He was in 5K to go. I said, Ndiamo una adue, which means let's go one, two. In the time that I live in Italy for a year and a half, so I threw that at him. And then my regret would be, I should have made a move in hindsight now. Just made a big move right there. Instead of saying, let's go catch the Santos, I should have made a move. And uh, that was my fourth marathon. Athens was my fourth marathon ever. So I didn't have the experience. I, in the back of my head, Paul Turk got 204 guy. He's going to go through a bad patch. I don't know when he's going to turn it on. So I was, I was pretty reserved on that one. I just wanted to get a medal. I didn't care what color, but I should have gone for the gold on that one. So you guys end up catching the Lima. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Because I think of <laughs> you meddling and the Lima getting attacked. And I forgot that Baldini actually won the race. It's even bigger, another story to the, to the movie or to the book, right? <laughs> yeah. Scenario. I mean, even that, they could just make a movie on that thing. Yeah, they were trying to. Actually, I, was, I signed something that they were going to try. I don't know where it went, but they were planning on making a movie on it. Okay, you should start your own publishing house and <laughs> movie studio. and We'll get all the movies and books that we want. Who's your favorite person to race against? Who? Favorite person to race against? You know, Abdi and Culpeper has been very great on the, ten, on the 10K. All right, good. That's my generation. Yeah, people. yeah, yeah. That was the big three that you used to call us the big three. Marathon, so it varies because not every six months or whatever, or t- every three months and stuff. So I always look for a challenge. I wanted to run against Haida and his A games because he was my idol. And like now people... They assume you grow up in high school. They can they compete. They competed against me, and they're like they want to take like uh, Scott Smith from uh, Flagstaff. He tweeted something it's like, "Oh, I should have paid attention when I when Mayor came talk to our high school. Now I'm racing this weekend, you know. So it's oh, been wow. fun to be able to be in that realm. But it would been fun to run against Ryan Hall and and whatnot and uh, Dathan in this new era of marathon. Yes, he never raced. Highly did a little bit when he 2010, uh, but he dropped out of the, out of the New York City Marathon. Since you won Boston in 2014, we've only had one American under 210. 
<laughs> what do you think is going on? Do you think it's a problem? What can we do about it? I think that personally, from what I've been uh, seeing people, they, they take the easy days too easy. You're an elite athlete. You need an elite athlete. Six minute pace shouldn't be a problem for you because if you're going to try to compete for 30s, 450s, a minute and 10 seconds or a minute and 15 seconds slower than your tempo run or your race pace, six minutes is, you know, I'm not saying that every time you should, maybe you should finish five miles a six minute pace. And then when I was in the training group, I would start with them, but I would end up at 9,000 feet. I would go 605, 610, 615. So at the end of the run, you're ahead of everyone. Yeah. I mean, even I just go one mile, two mile, and, and after that, just got to do, I think, being healthy, being consistent, and the coaching is also important. How closely do you follow the running scene these days? I do follow running. Not as much as I like to because practicing for speeches or spending time with the kids. So I'm not as active as I should be. It should be, but I love, I love the sport. It has done an amazing thing for me. And uh, to be able to just cheer some people that I want to cheer for and uh, you know, kind of send them a text. You know, I get, I get from elites advice on altitude training or on advice on uh, injuries, prevention, and all those things. So it's fun to be able to interact with them. And when they come back and, and do well, it's very rewarding. Can you tell us who you're secretly cheering for? Or any- <laughs> That's that. I'm very excited for the women's any race. Any dark horses out there? Yeah, I think the women is pretty, pretty much distinguished of, of what is. But uh, and the men is right, really wide open. I mean, it's really, besides first place, I think it's pretty wide open. Yeah, you can't tell us who you're rooting for because there's still a chance of the comeback. <laughs> nah, I, I, I am really, really excited on the women's because with Dina Kasser and myself, we hope to be in a good example to bring the U.S. distance running because when we sent only one male, one female to the 2000 Olympic marathon team, Coach, jo, uh, Coach Bob Arson and Joe Vigil had this idea they wanted to do something. And we're probably in that era now for the men, not for the women. The women is... Desi who won Boston, you have Shalane who won New York, and the other girls are right behind them. You know, to be able to, it's deep, it's really deep, and uh, it's an honor to be able to see them. And you know, some of them do give us notice of how we've been example for them. On the men's side, I mean, Gillen has done his thing, but I think there needs to be another resurgence for men's because it's not as strong as it should. But 2020 is around the corner, and there's always somebody coming out of the woodwork, the dark horse coming. So. You know, we hope for that. I think there's some people retire too soon. I think, you know, you got to think long term. I know the pay and then the sponsorship is difficult. I went eight, uh, I went eight months for that new shoot contract. I didn't have, besides you can, in my generation, you, you can, but the sports drink that I had, I really didn't have anything from uh, January till all the way till August. Really? Um, They're your only sponsor? Yeah. Everybody buy your generation, you can. They're an advertiser on Let's Run. <laughs> They're a great company. And, uh, you know, uh, I think at the time, maybe even Power did a little bit. But it's, it, was, it was a tough moment. And, uh, but one door closes, another door opens. And eventually, at one point, I had close to 13 sponsors, which is an amazing. Uh, my goal when I graduated from college was to have a shoe sponsor, a watch sponsor, a glasses, sports drink and a bar and maybe a car. That was the vision that I had wow. coming Being out. big. <laughs> but it all, I want a car and have a car sponsor, but I want a car. Uh, <laughs> I but I, I, done, I, mean, I had the watch sponsor, CEP, CEP compression socks, which I use them every single day. One of so you never got the car? You got everything else? I got everything else, yeah. How uh, many sponsors do you have now? 
or I have you can CP, Maui Gym, Sketchers, KT Tape. I think that's pretty much I think so far. John Hancock, I'm an ambassador for them, but also I'm a new sponsor that I just got last week that we announced is 26.2 Brewing. It's a Sam Adams beer company. Sam Adams? Yeah. Really? Yeah, 26.2 Brewing is what it's called. Oh, cool. So just It's like beer just for runners? Beer for runners. All right, yeah. sweet. I've been saying we need a beer for let's run.com, like an official right. beer. So <laughs> they also so. want to sponsor the website, or maybe we'll just yeah. we'll back your beer. Is there gonna be a med beer? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what that goes. Well, cool. Thanks for taking the time and like where are you off to now? You were saying before we started you travel more now than when you're racing. How how many weeks a year are you gone? Oh, I don't I don't count them, but uh, I'm traveling a lot more. I'm going to Shamrock, uh, Virginia Beach ha- Marathon and Half Marathon this weekend. And uh, the, the call is bad, uh, 5,000 soon, and then doing quite a bit of speaking engagement appearances. But yeah, I mean, I'm not in one place where I used to go to Mammoth Lakes for three weeks or five weeks. I'm traveling wait, a lot more. Wait, Carlsbad, I meant to ask you about that. You're now part owner of the race, is that right? I'm part owner of the Carlsbad 5,000 and also Silicon Valley Half Marathon, which is uh, April 27th or 28th in, uh, in Silicon Valley. So is Carlsbad going to kind of come back and be like what it once was with when Mike Long and those guys were doing it? Yeah, Mike Long and uh, Tracy and Tim Murphy. Well, I used to go there when I was in high school and kind of watch a run. And I think that's the first time I met Steve Scott, the great miler, US miler, American record holder. But yeah, that's the goal. It was uh, Ashley Gibson and myself and John Smith. We would try to get it, get it going again, you know, get in some good, good, good feels and 5K some... Adults can do it, kids can do it, and then, you know, for the people that want to challenge, challenge themselves of PR, you know, or having a fast time, it's, it's the fastest uh, fastest marathon in the world, so, I mean, fastest 5K in the world, so. No, as a kid, they used to have, like, I think it was Tony Revis running and racing, and you would see that on there, and it would inspire something like ESPN. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's Stuff it's, like that people need. Yeah, I mean, you know. It's always great to visit San Diego, Carlsbad, a suburb of San Diego, and then it runs by the beach, and it's great. It's out and back, be able to cheer the other the runners inspire each other and I need encourage to, each other. So I need to come out. And this, I promise fun. this is the final question. The, you said 5K. The 5K is leaving the Diamond League. Any quick thoughts on that? You know, I'm a, I love sports. The more we can participate in activities, the better for the young kids, for the elites, and also for elders where they're stretching. But with the Diamond League, I haven't read thoroughly, but I heard they're eliminating the 5K. And we're trying to connect to the regular average person. What's a 3K? We don't know. They don't know if it's what a 3K is. Is there about one mile? Is that two mile? They don't know. But when you eliminate the 5K, I don't think that's a very wise because when you tell anybody 5K, they know exactly. You know, it's far, but doable. So right. when you have a, the World Championship and then uh, Olympic Games, a 5K, I think it should be, personally, I think it should be a part of the Diamond League. Yeah, nobody knows what a 3K PR is. Even runners barely know. Yeah. You want to be relatable. You know, right. I know, I think... I know uh, probably marketing and things like that, but when you have very top field men and women at their A game and, and a diamond league, I was always excited to to see if they can break 13 minutes or 15 minutes for the women. It's, it's, it's exhilarating. Well, if they get rid of it on the track, Carlsbad will be the best 5K in the world. So <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Inadvertently, it might help you. Wow. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. That was great. Thank you. All right, guys. I know you can't give me your thoughts on the interview because you actually haven't heard it yet, but it sounds like to me sort of, you know, Meb, like all great athletes, they think about unretiring or not retiring. I think if the trials had been maybe a year earlier, it'd be more likely for Meb. It sounds like he's pretty fit in early 2018. He ran a 31 
minute 10k this past summer some little road race he was just doing just for kicks with no training it was just amazing to me that a guy his age can do that so he's still fast if he wants to but hey this would all be for mute if the current usatf rules are in place meb with a top three wouldn't make the trials so wouldn't make the team he'd make yeah very good point i mean the the uh, the new rules i mean unless you ran 211.30 on a hilly atlanta course right yeah congratulations usatf you've killed meb's comeback so yeah you kill a comeback from meb there would be no point for meb to come back because he wouldn't run under 211.30 at the trials on that course and unless he did that he wouldn't make the team so, without an exception, there is zero percent chance that Meb would make a comeback. But the book, and I wish I had stolen the copy, but Meb just had one copy that was he was autographing and giving to somebody. It's it's pretty interesting because he's run twenty six marathons in his career, and there's a lot of them. And I think the format of the book is pretty easy because it makes for easy reading, right? You can read one here, read one there, keep going, and it shows like what happened to Meb in the race and what he learned from it. And I just forgotten all these races like Meb in 2004 was second at the Olympic trials. And then he's second at the Olympics. I mean, his career is, is just pretty amazing. Like he didn't win the trials. And then 2007, he doesn't make the team talks about, Hey, I really contemplated retiring and just think how much different distance running would be if Meb had retired. And then he wins New York. And he said he really, that was, that was the year he, because of his wife, he started focusing on the marathon full-time in 2009. He gave up the 10,000 meters, wins New York, and then after that, his career is kind of not stagnating, but he gets the fourth at the Olympics, and then people sort of assume that's it for him, and then he wins the damn Boston Marathon. It's just amazing. And I heard him at this investor conference, and like Meb says this on the, con- on the podcast, he was there was a time in his life he ate dirt. He just said he looked at dirt and said, I need to eat this. And he had like the bloated stomach that you see of these malnourished kids in Africa. And now he's maybe America's best marathoner ever. I mean, you can argue against it, but only guy ever in the history of the world to get a Boston win, New York win, and Olympic medal. So it's pretty cool. Definitely check out the book. But... The other Meb story I have from last week was I was running in the park, Central Park. I've discovered what the bridle path is. Kids don't run around on the streets. The bridle path is where the real runners run in New York. And somehow I didn't really understand that, not being a New Yorker. But I said, I'm going to do the bridle bridle path today. And I honestly knew Meb was in town. And I'm like, maybe I'll – and the only other time I did this was at Milrose. I was like, oh, maybe I'll run in to see somebody famous running. And I'm – running on the bridle path. I got my two dogs confession. I don't know if I should say this on air, but a woman passes me on the left. I'm a little bit flustered. I'm like, Whoa, like, is this woman professional? I mean, she's got to be pretty good. Right. Joke. And also I had a phone with me. This came in handy. Cause I, I never run, run with a phone that, that often. Sometimes I listen to podcasts now. But I had to be back to move my car, street parking, a lot of these things in New York that are very important. And I think I'm looking at that. And so I pass this little guy passes me on going the other direction on the right. And then I hear this, Robert, Robert. And I turn around and I'm like, who's this guy? Like with a hat on and headphones yelling at me. Like, and I'm like, what? And he's it's like, it's Meb. And I run, I'm like, oh my gosh. So I don't know if Meb's ready for a comeback. Meb Kofleski passed me the other direction. I did not recognize him. I was flustered on my phone. This might be the end of Letrun.com, but Robert, is this your greatest day in history? Meb thought 
it was you running that you were the champion. How do you feel? I was going to take this as the ultimate compliment folks. What someone once said about Robert, he's like Weldon, except Weldon's better than him and everything. It's not really true folks, but this is good. I mean, I was like a 31 minute 10 K runner. You were 2806 and associates. Let's run with me. Now I was going to view this as a big compliment, but perhaps it's because you look so fat and out of shape that he couldn't think it was you a former competitor, a man who pushed him to the limit at the 2001 and 2003, particularly 2003, USA 10,000 meters when you had the the lead with a mile to go, folks. This So did I take the lead in that race? Did I take the lead or did I just raise the roof with my hands? You took the lead and raised the roof with your hands. Wow, I didn't realize that. Well then, I'm impressed. I mean, I don't even like if the 10K was on TV right now. I wouldn't even turn it on until like mile five. Weldon thought like he was doing really well. Then he got destroyed. I swear this was not a setup. I asked Meb, you know, who were the favorite people you competed against? And he's like, you know, the big three. I thought he would say, you know, something about the marathon or Turgot or Gabriel Selassie or something. So, you know, the big three Culpepper, Abdi, and Meb. Wait, if he's saying big three, that can't refer to himself. So, that was the big three, but maybe he really means you as well. Did he Did he say himself? I don't think he knows. The fourth place finisher at the 2003 USATF 10,000 meters, less than 10 seconds behind Meb Kofleski, was me, yours truly. Was he also in the 2001 race when you were fourth? Yes. Meb was only second in that race. Second in both races. Do you think he even knows you were in the, do you think he even knows you were a runner? Like, do you think? That's what I was wondering. Does Meb even know I ran? Like, I mean, he has to, right? But like, he may not even know I was in these races. But I should replay that. I think that's that's how we should sound off. I think every podcast was that audio clip, and then all this, and in fourth place, Weldon Johnson. So, isn't that the mentality though? Like, I remember when I was running at a you know somewhat high level in college. You know, D one, not exactly like you know elite, the elite. Twenty nine thirties for John. Twenty nine forty three PR in the ten K. But anyway. When you're running that, you're always paying attention. You know everyone who beats you. You know all of them. And if you beat someone, you're like, oh, yeah, I beat them. I'll beat them next time. You never really worry. You never pay that much attention to the people you beat. It's the people who are ahead of you that you're always paying attention to. So I, I think it's possible he might just, you know, he was 10, he was 10 seconds behind him. He might just have said, you know, yeah, I don't have to worry about that guy. He's never, you know, until he beats me. I mean, probably has no idea he's even in the race. He would know that I ran, but not in that specific race. But because if he did, right, he's trying to sell his book. He wants to say good things. Flatter me. We, I say great things about the book. But, hey, it looks like a cool book. It's my type of book now with shorter attention spans. It's a legitimate book in length, but it's broken up into 26 races. So it's very easy to digest and pick it up and put it down. So the book will be in the show notes. Thank you, Meb. And with a new commitment to podcasting 2019, it took us – what number is this of the year? Do we know what podcasts run? We're over 10. We're over 10. This has to be over 10, right? We're into March. This might be number 10. We've done it every week since we made our commitment to do it every week. So we haven't missed a week yet. Actually, we started not at the first of the year. so I, I know, but you know, we didn't make our resolution until like the second or third week of the 2019. So, But this was our first runner in person. Actually, before we started, that was in the end of last year, we had Floyd Landis as our first in-person guest. But Meb our second in-person guest. Thank you, Meb. Any closing thoughts? How many days over under until USATF gets back to us? Like John's going to go today and he's going to just apparently send them emails saying like, can you acknowledge that you received this email? Just yes or no. 
We could get to a week. We could get to a week without them getting back to us. We're on day five. The fact that they haven't gotten back to you means they must be internally discussing it. So they didn't understand this. This shows you they don't understand the sport. They 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 waited actually like a, a day right to get your your first response. So they did think about it before writing you the response. But now they must realize there's blowback and they're trying to figure out what to do. It's very easy what to do. Just at least for the time being, a better solution will be to say they're going to honor the world rankings, then try to get the trials more points. And the marathon trials for sure needs a hundred percent exception for the top three. I don't think they're going to do that. I bet the marathon trials don't never get that. They should. Japan should definitely get it. The other thing people don't understand is like we would have, again, we said this last week, you would have never picked these locations for the trials or times dates for the trials. If we'd known it was going to be like this. Yes. Yeah, so that came up in New York city, but athletes who have input in the trial selection, there is a 0% chance they would have put the trials on a hilly course in Atlanta if they knew that the only way to get in was with the 21130. The other thing we didn't talk about was Emma Bates now may skip the world championships because of this. I mean, great job, guys. Great job, bureaucrats. Yeah, and Emma Bates, talk about rejuvenating a career. She wins the U.S. Marathon champs while being unsponsored, I think, in December. Now she's with ASICS. Great run at the New York City Half, beating Des Linden. And she said, look, I wanted to run the world championships in the marathon, but now I may reconsider because she needs to have the automatic Olympic qualifying. And she's like, I think I can get top 10, but if I don't, you need the backup with the time and you're not going to get a time in Doha in the heat. So USATF would be preventing one of the runners from representing America and the team with this new qualifying system. So, and we didn't even get to talk about Emma because we wasted 25 minutes ranting and raving. But if we could have a better system, any event where there's like 10 people who qualify, like there would be in the marathon for the U S let us pick our top three from the trials, please. People, please. Very good. All right, guys, we need to go. I've got to do my brackets. I, don't, I haven't watched an NCAA basketball game. Well, that's not true. I've watched like one or two all year. My picks for the year, my picks for the tournament inside scoop, a B D. All I know is Yale baby is back. We are back in the tournament. The only other time I Yale was in the tournament in my lifetime, we beat Baylor. Taking on the LSU Tigers tomorrow in Jacksonville. I will be there, baby. Look for me on TV. And thankfully, John does not have a team in the tournament, I hope. Syracuse. Syracuse grad school. Oh, take it back. They're my March Madness team since Dartmouth hasn't made the tournament since 1959. But the big news of the week, Brighton Hove Albion will be going to Wembley. Congratulations, John. Wait, no comments? No one knew it. No comments on ABD? Do you even know what that is? I don't know what you're referring to. What's ABD, Robert? Weldon? I figured it was like, I don't know, it's like Gonzaga, somebody in Duke, but that's not A, so let's go ABD. Anyone but Duke. Oh, okay. What about Zion? Everybody likes Zion. He's awesome. You, you heard it here first. I've submitted my bracket. Gonzaga Bulldogs, 2019 national champions. Not going to happen, John. Not going to happen. We should have done a Let's Run pool. Maybe we will, but we don't have enough time for that. So until next week, when Yale is in the Sweet 16, Weldon Johnson signing off for Robert Johnson and Jonathan Galtz. Thank you, guys.